I wrote an article that I wanted to talk about a little bit. I'm going to just cover the article in this audio podcast. I want to do some more audio podcasts where I'm actually just talking to you guys by myself, just about some of the things I'm thinking about. It's an easy way for me to generate content, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So it's a part of the Story Geeks Network. You'll hear some of my own ranting and ravings as I think about things that are happening in the public sphere. And I wanted to actually do this interview about why I'm starting to hate reviews, and I put reviews in quotation marks, how the mass sharing of public reviews, again in quotation marks, pretty much every time I say reviews, I'm going to put it in quotation marks, but how the mass sharing of public reviews and opinions might be influencing creative works and why that sucks. I don't like the word hate, by the way. I said I'm starting to hate reviews. I don't like the word hate. And I'm not going to direct that word at any people, but I am starting to hate social media and how it's subtly changing the way we tell and share creative works, particularly stories. And it has to do with the way audiences talk about creative works. I'm concerned with how we collectively share our opinions. Opinions and reviews used to be, and often still are, incredibly valuable for decision-making. I'll read through dozens of Amazon customer reviews before I buy a product, right? That's kind of a user behavior that we all do these days. But as social media transforms the way we make decisions, how can we prevent public outcry from influencing the way we tell stories? Let's hop back in our DeLorean and travel back to the early 90s. When information was harder to obtain, people with expertise or experience gave us valuable opinions that we used, or at least could use, to make better decisions. When I was a kid, I used to watch Siskel and Ebert to see what new movies I should watch. I actually respected their opinions. My dad also used to purchase these books that gave star ratings to a plethora of movies, a ton of movies. And I would read through those books like they were novels. I would just look for good movies to go and watch to go and rent. Now, before Al Gore went and invented the internet, we had a limited number of sources for information gathering. In fact, we often didn't know how our friends felt about the movies they'd seen. We would have to talk to them in person or over the phone to actually hear their thoughts. And as a side observation, it was actually way easier to avoid spoilers in the early 90s, (laughs) by the way. But in 2021, opinions are prevalent pervasive, and even profitable. Anyone, and often just about everyone, can express their opinion at any time publicly with as little nuance or critical thought as they desire. On the one hand, that's not a terrible thing. I might trust my friend's opinion more than a complete stranger. And it can be nice to know what my friend thinks. Except there's also a dark underbelly of rampant opinion sharing And I believe it impacts creators and storytellers, and I can't stand it. What if reviews, particularly public opinions about creative works, have gone beyond helping us make better decisions? What if these reviews, that is the shared opinions of the masses, are being used for something far more insidious? Here's my take. Reviews and opinions are being used less for decision-making and far more often for tribe building. Let's take a look at The Last Jedi as a prime example. We've spent a lot of time talking about The Last Jedi on the Story Geeks podcast. 
Were most of the social media posts being shared about that film, The Last Jedi, were they trying to help others decide whether or not they should see it? Of course not. Instead, The Last Jedi nearly broke the Star Wars fandom by creating two factions, those who loved The Last Jedi and those who hated it. Those who loved it often cited how well it broke the Star Wars mold and added layers to the saga. And by the way, they even spawned a sub-tribe of Raylos, fans of Rey and Kylo getting together romantically. You know, and those who hated it actually focused on how it didn't feel like classic Star Wars. And some of those sub-tribes even started calling it too woke and declaring that it was proof that Star Wars was being led by leftist agendas. Even Ben Shapiro, a political commentator, used the Last Jedi controversy to help build his tribe. Were these reviews and opinions being shared as a critical response to a creative work? So shout out to people like Helen O'Hara or Ali Plum, who've been guests on the Story Geeks podcast and do a fantastic job of critically reviewing movies. No, these reviews and opinions weren't being shared as a critical response to a creative work. They were being shared to get follows and likes. They were being shared to build tribes that could band together to fight a common enemy, those who disagreed with them about the given creative work. Okay, so you say, so what, Jay? Humans have always formed tribes. What's the big deal? Well, for me personally, as a storyteller, those tribes represent the potential for a rift in the basic creative process itself. So what does an artist or creative person do when two tribes go to war? Now, it should be noted that tribes and power structures have always existed relative to the production of creative works. I'm not trying to pretend that they didn't, but the nature of them is changing. By the way, the breakdown of those tribes can also be a welcome change. Sometimes this is a really good thing that the tribes that used to be, that used to hold all of the power are now you know, being broken down. Without the breaking down and rebuilding of power structures in Hollywood, for example, we may never have made strides uh, for improved diversity and representation in our stories. Of course, we still have a lot of room to grow in that area, but we've made some strides there. My point isn't that I'd like to go back to something that was broken. That sounds kind of ridiculous. I don't want that at all. My goal is to identify potential issues and try to find ways to solve them or work around them. If society has turned reviews and public opinions into tribe-building exercises, what does that do to the creative process? Now, before I turn to the negative and express my concerns about what could happen, let me acknowledge two positives. I'm sure there are more, but these two stand out to me. The first is that new creators and artists actually have a really good chance to shine. And this can be really amazing. If a producer or publisher refuses to resource an artist's work, the artists could go find their tribe and use that to sell their work and build an audience. Just bypass the original gatekeeper to begin with. That's awesome. And far easier to do in 2021 than in 1991 or even earlier. So that's a huge positive. Two, bypassing the gatekeeper, which is related to the first one, bypassing the gatekeeper is easier than it's ever been before. Systems have always had gatekeepers. 
that used to be actual human beings, right? And those human beings had preferences. And if you didn't write something to their preference, they could turn it down. They could reject what you had submitted to them. But now gatekeeping has been democratized to a large extent. And that means that artists can find a tribe and let them vote on whether or not they like the creative work. In fact, a lot of artists have gone on to write things that a tribe really responded to. And then finally they took those writings and they went to a big publisher and the big publisher said, this is great. We're going to go ahead and produce these things because you were able to generate an audience for them. Right? So there's two positives and those two positives are pretty good. They might even call them great. They may even outweigh the negatives, but in case they don't, let's take a look at the negatives as well, because I think these negatives are worth considering to see how we might adapt what we want to see occur in our creative works. The first is societal pressure. So I talked about gatekeepers a little bit. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Let's expand on gatekeepers. Gatekeepers used to form bonds within the production system. When a gatekeeper accepted a creative work, it meant something. Producers then brought in experts to help guide the creative work in its completion. In film, that was bringing on directors and producers and actors. But in the publishing world, you know, bring on editors, bring on other people involved in the creative process. That generally resulted in changes to the creative work that weren't always welcome by those involved, right? So if you're a writer and you take your work into a publisher and they bring in an editor and the editor changes a bunch of stuff, sometimes writers didn't like that so much. Sometimes it even changed the very nature of the work they were trying to get published. A lot of times you would see editors, directors, and producers change the writer's intent. But they also, those parties, editors, directors, producers, they also took the brunt of the audience's eventual reaction. The risk, so to speak, was diluted and shared across the rest of this team. But now, of course, that's changed. Producers aren't just looking at the opinions of gatekeepers. They're looking to see whether or not artists and creators have integrated themselves into tribes. If you have a tribe, fantastic. That means you might have something worth producing. I described that earlier. I believe that happened uh, very successfully with the Fifty Shades of Grey books which were highly popular, and then producers stepped in and decided they wanted to distribute them some more. So what effect does that have on the artist or the creator? Well, it means the creator must create for the tribe. Now, as someone who has started several businesses and coached dozens of startup founders, this is a foundational principle of business. It's often stated in some pithy saying, you guys have heard this before, the customer is always right, or give the people what they want, which leads to the core issue that I'm trying to address here. Do we want artists to just give the people what they want? Wherein lies the case for expanded creativity? What if the audience doesn't want a tragic ending, but the writer feels like that's what would actually happen in this given story? What if the audience doesn't want to be challenged by an alternative viewpoint, but the writer has learned in his or her own life that that alternative viewpoint actually has some merit? At what point does the artist look more like the YouTube algorithm than he or she does like someone who's really attempting to portray truth? So societal pressure is a pretty big deal, but 
There's a second concern that builds on top of societal pressure, and that's monetary pressure. Because money follows eyeballs. As much as journalists decried the actions of Donald Trump in his quest to paint many of them as fake news, guess who benefited from that? The producers of mainstream media and the tribes that rose up to combat the mainstream media's tribes, right? Mainstream media had its own tribes. Alternative media had its own tribes that rose up in the space that was left for people who didn't like what they were saying. But all eyeballs went to all these different media sources because Donald Trump caused controversy. And where the eyeballs go, so too do the advertisers. If you look at some of the statistics, as soon as Donald Trump and his presidency ended, a lot of the views on these places dropped considerably. And that's going to be a hit to their bottom line eventually. And now, as tribes demand content, storytellers have to pause. Do they produce the content that the tribe will love and take the payday that more eyeballs offer? Or do they pursue the best possible story, even if it means the tribe itself might reject them? Monetary rewards or societal rejection? Or maybe tribal rejection is a better word for it. That's quite a carrot and quite a stick. Rejection from a lone gatekeeper was troubling, but it was one person. Caleb Monroe, my co-host on the Impactful Writing Podcast, which is part of the larger Story Geeks network of shows, and he's a fellow writer of things, said in relation to gatekeepers, if you wrote something terrible, that person probably wouldn't even remember it. He's right. The gatekeeper, even if the gatekeeper rejected you once, it did not mean that you could never submit another good story to the gatekeeper that he or she would then pass on. But that is not like being rejected by a tribe. Being rejected by a tribe is something else entirely. It threatens the very nature of the artist's ability to achieve future success. It means being ostracized by a collective group of people Maybe even a group of people who formerly helped the artist build their career into something meaningful. So if you combine societal and monetary pressure, well, there's a lot to overcome to stay true to the creative art. So here's my encouragement to artists and creators out there. Because what do you do with this, right? There's all this immense pressure that artists and creators are facing from tribes. They're trying to get their works out there. Maybe even some of them are successful in doing so. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. What's the follow-up going to be? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just please them and give them whatever it is they want? Because that'll bring me money. It'll bring me attention. Or do I... Try and go the opposite direction and challenge them a little bit. Convict them a little bit. What happens if I do that? Will they reject me? Temptation for artists and creators abounds. Fame and money sit at the feet of the artist like potential holy grails at the fingertips of Indiana Jones. But unlike in The Last Crusade, the shiny object that's sitting in front of the artist may provide actual success. The tribe's adoration and worship. And maybe that's the goal that some artists want to achieve, right? Maybe they, or even you listening to this, would engage with my thoughts and think, 
Why not give the tribe what it wants? Why challenge their thinking or their emotional state when I could just appease them and reap the benefits of their worship? Why indeed, huh? My question back to the artist is simply, what is the point of art if not to reflect the human condition? And what is the point of art if not to encourage conviction or inspire the audience to change? I'm not of the opinion that fan service is a bad thing. Fan service can be a thrilling audience experience. There's a bunch of fan service in The Mandalorian, and I love The Mandalorian. But I don't want pure fan service. I want to be surprised. I want to see artists take risks. I want to see creators swing for the fences. But most of all, I want to engage in stories that force me to consider the truth. Not the lies I'd like to tell myself, but the actual, sometimes painful, truth of being a human. So, fellow audience member listening to this podcast, what if... Before we share our strongly held belief about a creative work on social media, we stop to consider these questions. How did this story impact me? What did I find uncomfortable about it? What did the work make me feel? How did it even change my perceptions? Answer those questions and then write the social media post. Because those questions may just lead to more meaningful discussions. They might break down tribal structures as opposed to building them up. And they most certainly will encourage creators to produce better, more meaningful stories. Not just stories meant to give the tribe what it wants, but stories that truly attempt to find the shared human experience. All right, I'll stop ranting. But what do you think? Leave me a comment down below. Let me know if you've already experienced the concerns I've put out there or even if you've reaped the benefits of this new normal. I'd love to hear about your lived experience. And make sure you subscribe for more posts and more conversations just like this.